On today's episode of the Higher Ed Shift, we are joined by Amanda Ellis, the Vice President of K-12 Policies and Programs at the Kentucky Council for Post-Secondary Education, or CPE, where she leads strategies for improving collaboration between K-12 and post-secondary education systems to improve the transition and success of students earning post-secondary degrees and credentials. Prior to her role at CPE, Amanda served in multiple roles at the Kentucky Department of Education, including the Deputy Commissioner and Chief Academic Officer. Amanda's career also includes experience serving eight years as an elementary principal in Anderson County, and she served as an elementary school curriculum coach and middle school science teacher. Join Amanda and I as we discuss the purpose and mission of the Kentucky Council for Post-Secondary Education, their big goal of 60 by 30, how CPE is building community within the K-20 space, and how we begin to rectify the tragedy of students who do not feel worthy of a post-secondary education. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Shift. I'm Amy Glynn, VP of Student Financial Success at Campus Logic, powered by Elucian. Today, I'm joined by Amanda Ellis, Vice President of K-12 Policies and Programs at Kentucky Council for Post-Secondary Education. Wow, I never thought it was the word Kentucky in there that would catch me up, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. How is the East Coast weather treating you guys? Are you full into, in Arizona, we're full into summer, like 115 today. Is Kentucky like right there with us? We are, we are full into summer. We've been into the eighties with beautiful weather and some thunderstorms on a few days. So yeah, I think we are full fledged summer and I am thrilled. I will take it any day. Oh my gosh. My daughter would kill for a thunderstorm. She's in Arizona. She's an Arizona baby. And she's like, when it rains, it's like, she does a happy dance. (laughs) Plenty of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We could share. I think we could share and both be in a better place. I would think so. So to help the audience get familiar with you and your role, can you share with us what a day in the life of Amanda Ellis looks like? Yeah, sure. So being a a lifelong career educator, I'm always working with some type of project around opportunity and access for students. And when I say that, it could literally be any age. And so for 25 years, that is what I have focused on. And so currently in my role, I am able to focus on students of all ages that are, we are hoping that will pursue post-secondary education, whether that be in a two-year or four-year institution to really pursue their career goals. And so that's truly why I can tell you that we focus on here. I'm very grateful that Dr. Ann Thompson brought me on a couple of years ago to really reignite the connection between K-12 and post-secondary to really smooth out and strengthen the transition between secondary and post-secondary, and even just for families as well and community to identify the importance of, of higher education. Yeah, I, that like you're saying, that connection between secondary and post-secondary is, is so important. And obviously, as we've seen enrollment troubles, even in K-12, but that transition is where we lose 
so many people. So love, love the fact that we're kind of addressing, pulling the two systems together and figuring out how to work in tandem to address some of those those problems, which I know we are going to dig into in a couple of minutes. So what is the Kentucky Council on Post-Secondary Education? Every state kind of does things a little bit differently, which is amazing and frustrating all at the same time. So talk to me a little bit more about the org and and the focus or goals. Absolutely. So the Council on Post-Secondary Education is a convening board that we have uh, that are a board that's appointed by our governor, but the agency itself is led by Dr. Aaron Thompson. And we have work that we coordinate with all of our eight public four-year institutions and as well as the Kentucky Community Colleges. So um, KCPCS Community Community College and uh, Career, Career and Technical Center. You'll probably have to do something with that. <laughs> all 16 campuses, I apologize. And so what we do is we are able to set um, tuition ceilings. We are also work with admission criteria, but ultimately we coordinate and convene folks to really have systems that work well and that provide a strong public education for secondary education for Kentucky. And so we have several different units that go from um, the K-12 connection all the way through workforce, specifically obviously in finance and in research, as well as student affairs. Um, we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion unit and really are heavily involved in our campuses in multifaceted ways to really strengthen that transition, strengthen success, and be that, that common connector to bring folks together for communities of practice, setting policy, working with legislators to really have a strong public post-secondary institution. We also do a lot of accreditation for okay. our public and private, and so we oversee that work as well. So we work very closely with all of our institutions, whether they're public or private, but our primary focus is our public. So you're really a unifier, bringing those institutions and stakeholders in Kentucky together to strengthen the entire, what is that, K-16 system? Pretty much right. And okay. So, um, and even into advanced degrees. Um, so program approvals, all of your typical policy pieces and program approvals and accreditation. But really, to your point, it's really to set um, a North Star, which we're going to get to, and really set goals of where we want to be in Kentucky and, and guide that work through collaborative leadership. So you're a lifelong educator from, from your background. I can, I can see that. What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning and excited about working, working where you do? Yeah, it's not a great question. I, I will always say that I get up every morning and my focus is always on students. It is on students who often don't see themselves as worthy of meeting their career goals or dreams for pursuing post-secondary education, for seeing a future. So that has always been a driver for me because everyone is worthy of pursuing their goals. And there's so much support out there that many just don't know and don't consider themselves a part of that, of that work. And so we have a lot of work to do. It's ongoing. And that is something that I just don't give up on. Uh, You know, every one of us who had the opportunity to be successful or to reach our career goals often is folks who invest in us. Someone yep. who can do it, whether yeah. that family member or a teacher or a neighbor, you know, um, somebody in our community, and it could be big or small, maybe not a long term, maybe even you're crossing paths, but I want 
every student to know that there's somebody who is advocating for them to have the opportunity to pursue their dreams. And, and there are so many who don't know that. And so we have work to do. And that, that drives me every day to figure out new and innovative ways to reach, reach more young adults and families and making their dreams possible. I love the passion and the desire. I also find it very sad and a little disheartening that we still have such a large population of both young and more mature people who do not think that they're worthy of or have a path to to higher education. Having worked in the space my entire life, like that just, that saddens me and And I'm really grateful for people like you who are working to ensure that everybody can see a path forward for themselves, whatever that means. That's right. That's exactly right. So as you look at doing that and you look at advocating and kind of the ways you guys do that, Kentucky CPE, talk to me about your favorite project or initiative that you're working. And I know there's no such thing as a favor. Like it's blasphemy that I asked you for a favorite, right? It's like, as a parent, when everybody's like, who's your favorite child? And you're like the one standing in front of me right now, (laughs) but talk to me about maybe let's say a project that has you incredibly excited right now. Yeah. So uh, that is a hard one. Uh, We have a lot of a lot of initiatives going on and I'm hoping to sustain change. But the one that I'm most excited about is, is called the Kentucky Advising Academy. I will just briefly tell you that this was an initiative or an idea, a priority, honestly not created by me or by anyone at CP. It was through the collaborative efforts of our Commonwealth Education Continuum, which is a P20 council, not legislatively required. It's the will of 28 different role groups coming together to improve the educational pipeline from preschool workforce. And the top priority last year that we initiated this group and their number one priority around successful transition to post-secondary was increasing advisors, the number of advisors for our high school students and their families. And reality is we're not gonna be able to increase the number of staff. We we don't have that kind kind of power, Mm -hmm. but we really took to heart what they were saying. And honestly, what our stakeholders said we did over 100 interviews last May from students, parents, teachers, administrators, post-secondary staff, counselors. And it was very much a unified uh, common message and desire from east to west, north to south, of saying we need advising, we need people to talk to us about this journey and what do we do and how do we navigate this, whether you're a first-gen college goer or you're, you have a long family line of college graduates or whatever that may be, it's not easy. And it's not intuitive. And so we heard it over and over from our stakeholder feedback and from our continuum of members. And so what we did is through a partnership with the Kentucky Department of Education and some of their CARES dollars uh, and ARPA funds that we had, we requested funds to start a Kentucky Advising Academy. And to be completely honest, we weren't even sure what that looked like. What could we do? And so that's brought us to my favorite project. Um, It was uh, my greatest fear of how we were really gonna roll this out to be a sustainable model Mm -hmm. and recruiting the right people to do the right thing really has made this a reality. And so what it basically is really quickly is it is an approach to have coaches in each of our regions of our state, which are really important uh, to Kentucky. 
and to really invest in the folks who are talking with our students and our families. That's not always counselors. So advisors, counselors, sometimes our family resource center mm. coordinators or even teachers and really equipping them with just-in-time information to help families and students navigate this transition and how to prepare for and apply to and uh, transition into that post-secondary institution or that training center, whatever that may be, to help them pursue their career path. And so we have an amazing team of field staff who are coming out of these roles that very few districts have these really unique college and career coaches or advisors to build out just-in-time support through social media. We have podcasts, a webinar, because it's very hard for folks to leave their buildings or to travel. It's very expensive. And then a couple of face-to-face a year. And we're really committed to building the capacity of the people who are already in those districts and even in their community of how do you build the capacity to guide and direct these students and their families into options. And we realized that nobody had really invested in the adults. And there were always lots of initiatives for students without the adult support to know what to do with it. Um, So I'm really excited for the potential and the different social media outlets we're using and the ways we're trying to reach really busy people with just-in-time information and small bite sizes to make them feel worthy of sharing that information and saying, yeah, you are equipped. Because the things that they have that we don't are those individual relationships with students and their families and the community. And so the best we can do is invest in their knowledge and their skills and their resources to make sure they have what they need and be aware of what's already available to deliver that to our students in a more um, efficient and impactful way. So that's, that's what I'm most excited about right now. I just see great potential. I love I love that idea and the approach that you guys are taking in investing in the coaches or the people who are actually providing the services. One thing that I've seen really regularly is that whether it's high school counselors or even independent counselors, one place that they struggle even more, like just at a high level with is understanding the funding journey. Yes. And so I would love to know, as you guys have built this program and talked to people in the field, what are the areas that those coaches and trusted advisors to the students feel that, like, what's the knowledge gap that they feel most readily? Yeah, that, and that was very apparent. It was all in the financial area. Mm. Uh, There's a great intimidation around all the options for affordability measures for students on how to pay college, the language, the access to scholarships and grants versus loans, how to complete your FAFSA and why do they need your W-2 form? You know, that's very personal information. And so to really have the trusted individuals know about that and learn about that and be able to work with the families that the families know these folks instead of other people coming in. We also have great partnerships with our um, Kentucky Higher Ed um, Assistance Authority who work with all of our FAFSA. They have outreach coaches, but there are only a handful of them in a a large state. And so we know that their biggest barriers and biggest intimidation areas, the biggest fears are around financial support and affordability measures. Another one is just understanding all the different criteria, not so much for admission, but for scholarship opportunities and how to find a right match and a fit for students and what does that mean and the sticker price isn't always the sticker price. You know, it's just really learning the lingo, which is another reason why in this Kentucky Advising Academy, we are including post-secondary advisors. 
because a lot of times the post-secondary advisors and post-secondary staff around admissions and financial aid will say, we're not talking to the right people or we're not sure who to talk to deliver this message, right? Mm. And so we're hoping to even connect those gaps of who do you talk to with your local community college or your the university that's closest to you, that you work with the most? Who do you contact for a large group visit? You know, I mean, just, it seems very low-hanging fruit, but there's assumptions made that people know when they don't know. And so those are the types of feedback we're getting is they'll say, this is really good information. How do I share all this? Or who do I contact for questions? And yep. so to have those direct connections and to really address the affordability pieces and when to address it, because if you sit and get it all in one sitting, it is very overwhelming <laughs> and you don't need to know everything right now, right? No. So time, there is a, a very clear calendar of how things progress. And that's kind of how our coaches through KAA have really started to plan out what they share and when they share it, because it is very overwhelming. So that was talk to counselors specifically. What they would say to us is we were trained, but we do so many other things in yeah. the school that we're not even up to date on what changes have occurred or, um, you know, since COVID, even uh, admission criteria has yeah. changed. How you apply has changed. Um, how you do placement exams have changed. And so we how you tour campus. Yes, very <laughs> different. Right. And they said, we, we don't even have the same connections we had two years ago, and we're not sure where to start. And so we want to meet people where they are and give them what they need when they need it and not to overwhelm. But that's that's the resounding issue. And so obviously, if, if the affordability is the number one barrier for families and it's the most intimidating topic to talk about with those who are advising, that's a major issue. So we, we have to address it. And so that's that's where we are. But not alone. We're very much in partnership with all the other resources in the state to really elevate their expertise. We are not experts in everything, but mm -hmm. we will find the experts and we will make sure they know who they are. And we've had a great design team come to the table sharing what they have available and what they already offer. So, Yeah. And I, I love, I love that it's, it's really amazing how simple it can be sometimes, like you're saying, where it's just connecting two people that didn't know that the other has a resource or has a program. And, and those connections can be, can be so powerful. And I think they're connections that we lost for many people during COVID, whether it was because we just lost touch with people or we had turnover in different roles or things changed. So just being able to offer that networking effect between your, your K-12 and your higher education and your state body, I think is, is so important. And I loved what you were talking about when you talked about the just-in-time information, right? Those of us that are in financial aid tend to think, like, the student's only going to read one thing I send them, and it's going to be their financial aid letter. So I'm going to put every disclosure and every piece of information in that single email. And what we end up doing by accident, right? Like we have good intentions, but what we end up doing is people shut down and they just can't consume. So having that bite-sized just-in-time, I think is so important if we want to start overcoming some of the barrier and realistically be more approachable, right? Yes. Because we need to be approachable for students and our high school counselors and our state authorities. Like we need to become a little bit more warm, fuzzy 
in <laughs> financial aid maybe than we've been used to in the past. Yeah, it's, it's very different. And, you know, to put it in even, you know, in a family perspective, who is a supportive family or who can help their their child, it's overwhelming, but at least you understand some of the financial window. Mm-hmm. When you put that in front of an 18-year-old, you know, young adult, very young adult, and ask yeah. them to really understand what, what you're saying and what this means four years down the road when they're barely thinking of tomorrow, it's very overwhelming. And yes. so we have really been thinking about how do we share this with the adults who are going to be sharing this with students who may be doing this completely on their own. Yeah. Uh, and how do you make that manageable for them? Because when they see, you know, a thousand dollars and they only make 50 to a hundred a week in their part-time job, a thousand dollars feels like a million. And yeah. see those big dollar signs and the responsibility, it can be really overwhelming. And so we're really trying to be intentional and use our resources in the state that are the experts in financial aid and, and really think of ways that we can deliver the message in a friendly way to your point. So it doesn't feel so, um, like you're defeated before you even get started. So yes. we'll see. it's going to be a challenge and ongoing, but it, we are aware of it and it was just really elevated. And I think you're right to the COVID point of even the old methods of mm-hmm. college fairs and, you know, visits when that went away, it made things even more difficult, right. And even more isolating. Yeah. Um, and we were already looking at ways to improve our recruitment and um, transitions to begin with, and COVID just uh, really exasperated a lot of the, the barriers. So we have work to but it's worthy. We do, but I, I hope in particular, and I, I know you deal with in Kentucky, some, some very rural communities. I am hopeful that the, the opening of options and the opening of eyes to the need to do things differently, to do some things virtually, to offer hybrids and to explore new opportunities really begin to open the eyes to our rural student community, that there is option and opportunity out there at a whole variety of institutions. Absolutely. You know, I will tell you, um, we heard that from students and from counselors. So mm. a very easy thing we did is when the public universities and our community colleges got online to do their annual update to new scholarships and admission criteria and opportunities, because of COVID, we had to offer that virtually. Yeah. Well, it was really, really positive feedback because those who are from far West Kentucky were able to hear directly from the Eastern Kentucky schools, you know, universities yeah. located in Eastern Kentucky without making a five-hour drive. And they were so appreciative of having that connection that they actually did it again and may make it what they do because more folks were able to join. They didn't have to leave their school for a whole day. So there were great opportunities. The other point we've really been hearing about from students that we've been talking about, and it is the reality that is the positive that came out of this, right? Like forced innovation for us to think and learn differently is that a lot of students who or family members who don't want to leave their home, their community, their Hmm. rural they may have a full-time job. They may be running the family business. Online opportunities for earning an education are not out of reach. Yeah. Right? It gives them way more opportunities to go to different schools and pursue different careers from the comfort of their home, if that's what yep. they do and that's the desire. And so you are absolutely right. We've really expanded what we offer in a very quick turnaround because we had to 
but I think it does meet the needs of students yeah. who are saying, we've been wanting this for a while, you know, and then it doesn't always match what everybody needs, but it does certainly give flexibility and opportunities for students who may not have that immediate access or may not have transportation or whatever that barrier may be, it is right there and have access. And, and so that is something we definitely want to elevate and, and show is this is another opportunity for you to meet your goals your, and your dreams for what you want to do. It absolutely is. I'll tell you personally, I have a pretty significant vision loss, which means I don't, I'm not able to drive. And when I was exploring my master's degree, we were living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which there is no large university in, in Santa Fe. And as I was exploring my options for my master's degree, I would have loved to have attended the University of New Mexico in person, but it was in Albuquerque. It was a 60 minute drive from from where I was and I didn't drive. So my only option were online. And um, though I like to think that it wasn't that long ago, when I started that master's 12 years ago, there were so few online options. And so I was really, I was held hostage almost by the online options that I had, right? right? Like there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of option to be discriminatory about price. Like I had like three options and I had to pay whatever they, whatever they want, were going to charge me. And I think to your point about not just rural students, but students who maybe have transportation issues, students who have disabilities, the, the number of educational opportunities that have been forced to open with COVID, I actually hope that it's one of the positive things because I feel like we have to look to the positive, right? Like something positive has to come out of COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why I call it forced innovation. You know, whether we be innovative or not, we didn't have a choice, right? There Mm -hmm. were no choices. And so all of us experienced that in some way, job or even home, all the campuses had to literally flip a switch and, and the K-12 system. I mean, it's, it was just overwhelming, but, but to your point, you know, when, when we went on college visits last year and the year before during COVID, when we were able to, when we were allowed to, you know, the students who took us on tours would tell us we really like having the options because some days if I'm able to work online, then I can go to work that afternoon. And then I have less money. I have to borrow, right. And we heard that a lot, or I like face-to-face completely, but my roommate likes a hybrid. And so we figured out how to make it work. And so I think the students really appreciated not being forced one way or the other. They love the flexibility. And and so, yeah, I I agree with you. There has to be a positive. And I think there have been, and we need to to use that, right, to to help benefit as many as possible and really see options. And I can tell you, living with a 13-year-old in my home right now who is on summer vacation yet is starting her high school courses this summer in the local, like her school district has an online academy and she can do hybrid. So she's starting her high school classes this summer and going to start knocking out, especially the ones she doesn't want to take in person. We happen to be doing a summer gym class for high school, right? And so, but the point is, this is, this is the direction of where our students are going because our high school students are now being trained that it's an option. So let's shift a little bit to one of your major goals, I think at CPA, CPE, which is your big goal of 60 by 30. Yes. 
what is this? So our goal that was set prior to me coming to the CPE, but it was really set as Dr. Thompson would call the North Star, is 60% mm-hmm. of Kentuckians, working Kentuckians, would have earned a degree or credential to towards a, a sustainable wage career um, by 2030. And so that is being monitored probably quarterly, I would say. And so we get to hear about our progress. Of course, yearly, they do updates. And so we are on track, definitely with the help of credentials. And we would love to see more uh, bachelor's and associate degrees, but we are um, really promoting that through lots of different avenues. But it really does set the North Star because it addresses our youngest citizens all the way through our adult learners. And it's going to take you all to really um, meet that goal. I know it's a very aggressive goal, but we believe it. And, um, you know, one of the things that we really at CPE is we're around equitable access and opportunities for all of our citizens. And so Dr. Thompson is very adamant in his leadership with us and with the state around post-secondary attainment that higher ed matters. He has a phenomenal life story that drives his passion and really most everybody in this office has our own passion stories about really overcoming adversity and bettering our lives and the future of our families through pursuing higher ed and and whatever that may be, whether that's a certificate, a credential, um, a two-year or an associate, a bachelor's or advanced degree. And and so that's that's our goal. And so what we do is we really keep that as our focus and the work that we do, the initiatives that we pursue and try to sustain all really focus on meeting that goal. And it's not numbers. We're talking humans. We're talking people. Yes. And so this is not just a percentage of a, a bar graph, but we really see it as individuals and citizens of our state that are not only earning sustained wage for themselves, but also taking care of their families and having basic needs met. So this changes the trajectory of, of your future and the economy of our state and the opportunities that are out there. And so it's a very important goal for us. Um, we just revised our strategic agenda for the CPE. And obviously this is a big of that and how we um, developed our plan to help reach that goal. I think the best part in your, in your explanation for me, part that made me, our listeners can't see it, but the part that made me smile as you were talking was the component about the sustainable wages. You know, sometimes we set these goals around number or percentage of people who achieve something and earn a post-secondary credential but it's that sustainable wage component that if if our programs are not setting their participants up for success and financial betterment and personal betterment, what have we really achieved? So I, I love that you guys are including that component in there and it's not just a straight percentage of students of individuals who achieve. As you've dug into this and started to drive towards that that north star, what are what are some of the greatest challenges that you guys have encountered or or things that need to be addressed in order to achieve? Yeah, so you've already mentioned one is the credentials or degrees around sustainable wage. That's mm. uh, and we do, we are very fortunate in Kentucky to have an amazing longitudinal data system with the KOS that's Kentucky stat. They people are going to be jealous. <laughs> they they should be. We are we are very, very grateful, honestly, for for that team and the data that they compile that can show us 
uh, sustainable wage jobs, what the trajectory would be in the next five to 10 years by region, by career cluster. They work hand in hand with the Kentucky Workforce, with the Kentucky Department of Ed, with us at the CPE, and multiple others, and really to be able to tell us where our graduates go, where they end up. It is amazing information mm. that really drives our work and informs what we do. But that can be a challenge because many folks who may want to pursue and, and earn credentials that may not be a sustainable wage for them. And mm. that is a hard conversation to have. It's not it that wrong to have that, but definitely consider stacking credentials or earning an associates around that to really build their capacity and opportunity to maintain the appropriate income that they would need to survive yeah. and, and, you know, and, and take care of their families. That's a, that's a challenge. The other thing that's a challenge is it's not just about high school students going into college. And you know, if we were even look at that population, we have almost really a little over 48,000 graduates a year, high school graduates a year. But before COVID, just right during, we're a little bit lower now, it was only about 50% were going and a lot less were completing. We have that data. We know what happens to them seven years later and their median income. And it is not pretty if they don't earn credentials or an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree because their wage is so much less. And they could have debt on top of that. And so we monitor that. We look at that. It is a challenge. So it's not just addressing high school graduates coming into college in a traditional way. It's really any of our adults that we call off-ramp and on-ramp. Life happens. Folks don't always just have this straight trajectory. And so really emphasizing the importance of the connection to the workforce, mm -hmm. what's needed in Kentucky, what's available in Kentucky, how higher it fits into that puzzle is absolutely mm -hmm. essential because it's not just going to school for the sake of going to school or going to get a credential for the sake of getting it. Mm -hmm. It should really lead you on your career path to really earn those, those credentials you need to meet your career goal. And there should be those careers out there that are available. Jobs should be yeah. available for those things. And so that coordination is always essential. It's happening in Kentucky, but it's not easy. It's always challenging. Getting adult learners to come back to either level up on their credentials or to consider coming back to school is a huge sacrifice for them. That yeah. is income. That is taking care of children and childcare and travel. So there are very real challenges to meeting this goal. It's not impossible, but we know it's an aggressive goal because we are talking about people with lives and uh, different challenges that are, it's just not a clean, you just go and, you know, it's not a big deal. We do have the work credit scholarship that pays for up to an associate's degree in the high demand work sectors. I'm so grateful for that. We have an increase in dual credit scholarship that encourages students to start early, uh, high school students to start early and earn those degrees. There are lots of great initiatives in Kentucky that they really emphasize, um, but it still takes a lot of boots on the ground and connections yeah. with folks to make it matter, make it relevant. We are very grateful for you know, large industries coming into Kentucky to provide jobs. But we have to make sure those folks are ready to yep. take on these jobs at all different levels. And so it's an ongoing challenge, but it's something that we are absolutely invested in, we believe in, and it's essential for Kentucky. I mean, it just is for our citizens in our state. So well, it's essential for it, it's essential for America. Yes. Right? Like we, I mean, it's I know in Kentucky, like locally in Kentucky, yes, but we also we need to begin to address this. And I think 
I think about it a lot. I look at, you know, the big numbers, 32 million, some college, no degree, 15 million of those students full debt with no degree. And I read too much national news about higher education and I'm I'm looking at your goal and I'm thinking trust has to be a factor here. And I'm thinking trust between students and colleges, students in the state, employers and colleges. There's, there's so many factors. So how do we go about building or rebuilding trust in a thoughtful way between higher education and all of these other constituents? That's a great question. This is what we are looking at constantly. Actually, it's one of the pillars that we are really focused on at CPE because we are a convening agency. Yeah. One of the things that we have done that Dr. Thompson has done is invest in individuals who specifically focus on workforce connection with post-secondary institutions and bringing those folks to the table saying, what do you need? What do we offer? How do we work together to be strategic? Is it easy? No. You have to get through some cultural changes and differences and language Mm -hmm. and, you know, vocabulary that may be different. Absolutely. But we have to show relevance, right? And how we can contribute to this. And that's the same really with K-12 into post-secondary of how do you contribute to this? How do you start building opportunities and awareness for students of what's out there and how do you get there? And, And, you know, we have... I have never in any of my meetings been in with any type of employers, anyone representing the workforce, post-secondary, secondary home that don't care about this. They all very yeah. much say, we want to do this. Sometimes we're not sure how. You know, one of the things that we rely heavily on um, in the state, at least for us culturally, is our regions. Our regions really matter. Um, we have Obviously, there's regional chambers and there's local chambers and there are Kentucky Workforce Innovation Boards that consider the workforce needs in every one of our regions. They meet and they submit that and that's really how even career pathways for secondary are approved. It's very intentional with um, demand. And so folks love their communities. They trust their region, that area in which they live. And Mm -hmm. if we don't value that and um, really elevate that to to um, empower the communities to be able to do a lot of this work. Sometimes it's not going to be statewide. Sometimes it's going to be very intentional into the regions of the needs and the opportunities that are there. And I do think um, I see a lot of that is when it when it becomes successful is when folks in that community come together and they work with their workforce and their post-secondary and their K-12 system and their local communities and local community leaders really yep. come to that that's when you see true change instead of this statewide push, because that doesn't always go well. What it looks like in Eastern Kentucky may look very different than in Northern Kentucky. And so we really, we really value that and honor those cultural differences to elevate different ways people address issues. Um, And so perfect. No, have we figured it all out? No, but it really, um, it has really come to light for me to see how folks, um, value that they trust those relationships and trust the folks who are leading in those areas. Well, and your point about working regionally and working in smaller communities, I think is something that we all need to consider. So realistically, I grew up in Northern Vermont. Vermont is one of the smallest states in the nation. So what is happening in Northern Vermont is kind of happening in Southern Vermont because you're all 
only like four hours away from each other. But as we move into much more diversified states, larger geographic industry influences, that that idea of working regionally or locally to ensure that the universities and the employers are partnered together, are building programs that really create a well-rounded participant who can then jump into the job market. Because the reality is, if an employer moves into Kentucky, into Eastern Kentucky, and they don't have the skill set amongst the population, they have to invest their own dollars in it. So aren't they better off to partner with the colleges, the universities, the training providers, whoever it is, and just, and really make sure that there's good alignment. It's, it's just a win-win all the way around. It seems like a no-brainer. It does. And, and we do see that a lot in mm-hmm. the state where folks have come in to certain communities and really started with the high school and then they've worked with the universities, the community college to really align and try to align yeah. the workforce needs and the credentialing that's needed. And even the exposure early middle school, high school, hey, this is here and this is what we need to keep this going. And and yeah. it's very well received. You know, typically it is sometimes a little overwhelming because it's such a big, that's a big thinking and a lot of moving parts. Um, it but it does work well when people work together. And that seems so easy. Um, but sometimes it can just be really muddy, you know, and because other work's still going on and how do yep. that flow, it's easier. It's so much easier to work in a silo than with other people and <laughs> bringing different thoughts and values together. Um, but I think that's what's so, so neat about the 60 by 30 goal. People can yeah. talk about it, but how they're pursuing it looks very different, right? It could be mm-hmm. all different ways. And I, I think that's so unique. And I think many other states who probably have similar goals probably have addressed it many different ways and are trying to hit their weak areas and elevate their strengths. And I just think that's, that's the beauty of it. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think that is a perfect note for us to wrap up our conversation. I would love to have you share. We probably have listeners who are interested in learning more about you around Kentucky CBE, the 60 by 30. What is the best way for them to connect with you and or to to gain access to some additional information about what you guys are, are doing there in Kentucky? Absolutely. So our website is the easiest that has all of our strategic agenda. And the very first thing you'll see on our website is the 60 by 30 goal. And that's just cpe.ky.gov. That's our home website and um, has all of our information. And I'm very easily accessible and can connect you with the right people if it's not me, which is just amanda.ellis at ky.gov. And we'd be happy to answer questions or connect you with whomever would best align with the question, but we, we welcome the conversation and, and really appreciate the time today. Perfect. We will make sure to link both of those resources, your email and the website into the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's show, the best way to show your support is to follow like, or add a review on your favorite podcast platform. Also consider sharing this episode with your network to keep the conversation going. I'm always looking for guests feedback, questions, and topic suggestions, please reach out. My contact information will also be available in today's show notes. 